You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fanalist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. So I suppose we should start with the, I guess, big news of the day. Depends on your position on the issue. But DeAndre Hopkins was officially released. I don't think, I mean, might have been surprising to some. I don't think to uh, a ton of people. Just because when you, they knew he was going out the door. They were trying to get a trade. They were asking for very, very little because of the contract, and nobody was willing to give anything to take on him and his co- Because the bottom line is, it's sort of like when a car is underwater. I don't mean literally, I mean financially. That means what you owe on it is more than what it's worth. There's no amount of compensation the Cardinals were going to get, because the contract by itself is higher than the value of DeAndre Hopkins. They're not going to pay that contract, let alone the contract plus, you know, a 2026 seventh round kicker. So the only thing that was ever going to happen was that he was released. And so he was. And and so the question becomes, will the Packers, should the Packers pick up DeAndre Hopkins? Those are the two questions. And I think most people understand that the answer to will they is 99% no. And I'm sure almost everybody agrees with me, whether it's because you don't think it's a prudent move or simply because you know that the Packers probably won't do it. Slash, we have 600 million wide receivers now competing for a job. So, how do we even approach this? I guess we will start there. Um, One of the complications, and I know many people say I don't care, is the fact that if you go out and pay that man, he has to start. It doesn't matter if... He's actually not that good, and and Jaden Reed has to sit on the bench, or Romeo Dobbs is on the bench, or whatever. It doesn't matter. That's what has to happen. Which is not only a risk, but it's a detriment to our younger players who are getting less opportunities. And again, you could say, I don't care, but finish the sentence. I don't care because... Look, if you genuinely believe that we are in a small window and can win a Super Bowl today, and maybe we can, and you believe that DeAndre Hopkins is still one of the best wide receivers in football, and you believe he's significantly better than the rookies that we got, rookies slash second-year guys that we have, and you believe that it's enough, that 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 difference makes up the difference between the Packers not being Super Bowl contenders and being Super Bowl contenders, which is a really narrow lane that we're operating in, then it does make sense. But here's what I want you to do, first of all. I want you to think... Because a, a lot of times what happens, well, let, let me say this first. A lot of times we don't even think that deeply into it, which is why I said it. And I want you to answer those questions individually, not even individually, collectively. Is that what you think? If not, you might want to rethink it. Because I think what happens a lot of times is we just think, good player, I want good players, sign them. Whether or not they are is, is somewhat irrelevant. All right, now that we've established that, how good of a wide receiver do you think he is? Top 3, top 5, top 10, top 15, top 20. Where would you put DeAndre Hopkins? I want to go through a couple different things. Now, cumulative stats are not necessarily interesting because he only played 9 games. But, 
I want to look at some collective stats as well as grades and see if that lines up with what you think in your mind DeAndre Hopkins is. Overall PFF grade, he ranks 33rd, which is to say just outside of a number one wide receiver. It's actually slightly less good. The, the guy one spot ahead of him is DJ Moore, the guy the Bears just picked up. And again, Christian Watson ranked 24th. It's actually closer to Randall Cobb, who ranked 43rd. So they're just 10 spots away from each other. His receiving grade is even less impressive. He's 36th. It's actually one spot behind Alan Lazard and only six spots ahead of Randall Cobb. So again, remember, as I'm saying this, and, and we'll get to the part where, yeah, well, he was injured and all that stuff. We'll, we'll get there. But just for now, keep thinking to yourself, do I know for sure that this guy is a, not just a number one as in top 32, he is a significant I'm talking at least top 15 player. I know that for a fact. Ideally top 10. And I know for a fact that he is better than Romeo Dobbs and Jaden Reed because I'm assuming Christian Watson. I mean, they'll do all, all the different combinations. But Watson is the speed that, that doesn't really um, come out in, in anybody else. Right? He's the guy you need out there as the speed element. Your true X receiver, it's not Dobbs. It's not Jaden Reed. It's DeAndre Hopkins. We'll see Reed in slot situations. Dobbs occasionally will get rotated in, but it's going to be Watson, Hopkins, and Hopkins will be your number one, and then a little bit of D Jaden Reed when we have three wide receivers out there. Are we positive that this is that dude? Because we're paying for it. Yards per reception, he ranked uh, 69th at 11.2 yards per reception. Yards after the catch per reception, he ranked 86th. Yards per route run is 18th, so we're getting there, and that's a good stat for sure. He's sandwiched between Devontae Smith and Jamar Chase, which is great company. But even there, he's well behind Christian Watson, who was 11th. Average depth of target is 60th. Drop percentage was really low. He was 14th, so we're getting close to that top 15. But I'll say this, aside from the guys that didn't drop the ball at all, which would be zero drops, um, only Cooper Cup and Adam Thielen had a lower drop percentage. Now, again, he played significantly less. Thielen played 18 games, Hopkins played 9, but it's a still a relatively large sample size. Contested catch rate, 31st. And passer rating when targeted, which is another important one because it takes into account your touchdowns and all that, uh, he was 70th. And not cumulatively, he was 70th. If you look at DeAndre Hopkins in man coverage, which is what you want from a, a real elite number one wide receiver, right? His PFF grade, his re PFF receiving grade, was 77th out of 95. He was very close to the bottom. It was the 17th worst. And yes, that does mean he's significantly better in zone. He was 21st, which is decent. But again, if you're getting me this truly elite guy, you got to be able to beat man. And at least last year, he wasn't that dude. So I, I understand that he's a big name player, but just based on what he did last year, how amazing do you think he is? Did he fit that criteria? Top 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30? Because as far as I could tell, I would say he's outside of the top 32 in most metrics. Not all of them. Now, if we go back to last year, does it get better? Yes, it does. Um, his PFF grade overall was 17th. His receiving grade was 15th. So top 15 is solid. And if you look at it and say, well, you know, he was injured, so you can't really take that into account. Well, there's a couple problems with that. Um, Number one, let's look at the fact that he is 31 years old, almost 31 years old, and the fact that the regression basically started in 2020. 
in 2020, his first year in Arizona, he had an 87.1 grade, which is what we've become accustomed to with him. That went down to a 79. 87 to 79 is a big drop. It's a bigger drop than from 21 to 2022, which was a 79 down to a 72. It's actually quite similar. But there's another problem. He was injured in 2021 also. So now, if you say, well, when was his last fully healthy season? It was 2020. Well, that was back when he was kind of elite. Now we're doing the exact same thing we've done with a lot of other guys, which is saying, if he can stay healthy, if this 31-year-old guy who hasn't stayed healthy the last two years can stay healthy, maybe, although probably not, because again, age is a major factor, plus the injuries are making it less likely that even if you're healthy, you're going to be able to play up to your full potential. I shouldn't even say it that way. That, that is his full potential. Your full potential is no longer 2020 full potential or 2018 full potential, which to be fair was his peak, 2018. 92 PFF grade, 92.1 receiving grade. He played 10 games in 2021. He played 9 games in 2022. He has played 19 games, which is essentially one season worth over the last two years. Now, let's revisit what we need for this to make sense in order for me to say, you know what? Romeo Dobbs can wait. Jaden Reed and Dentavian Wicks and all these guys, they can wait. And whoever it is at the bottom of the, the heap that's probably going to end up getting cut, so be it. Or, or was, was, was at the bottom but was going to make it, now gets cut, so be it. DeAndre Hopkins, I know for a fact, is going to be better than Romeo Dobbs. Now that means in terms of quality and quantity. Because even if he's, let's say DeAndre Hopkins gives you an 80-graded wide receiver and, DeAndre, and Romeo Dobbs is a 70 but Dobbs gives you, say, 14 games and Hopkins gives you eight. Which would you rather have? I'd rather have Dobbs and not this contract that DeAndre Hopkins, I'm sure, is going to get. But I know that Hopkins is going to be better than the other guys we got. That's Romeo Dobbs and Jaden Reed and Dontavian Wicks and Grant DeBose and all those guys. He's going to be better than all of them. And hopefully Watson. And although I know for a fact it's going to stunt the growth of the guys that are there, which is problematic because these are the guys, these are the core players that are going to not just help us this year, but help us over the next, hopefully, 10 years. And we want them to full speed as fast as possible so we can have sustained success, not just this all-in this year at the detriment of next year stuff. So we're going with that all-in this year to the detriment, even slight detriment, to next year. For the purpose, so, so that's what we know is going to happen. What we don't know is that Hopkins is going to be better and healthier, and we certainly don't know that we are a the, the gap between Dobbs and Hopkins is the difference between Super Bowl and no Super Bowl. It just the, the bottom line is it just doesn't add up to me. I'm not saying I'm, I'm completely 100% against it. I understand the merit of having a veteran and the potential with his ceiling. You know, last year he had four good games out of his nine, which is not very good. However, he had a 103-yard game, a 159-yard game, and a touchdown against Minnesota. Granted, it's Minnesota. A 98-yard game, a 91-yard game, and then an 87-yard game and a touchdown. Like, they're, they're relatively sizable games, you know? Also, you got a 14-target, a 13-target, a 14-target, a 12-target, 11-target, a 9-target, and a 10-target game. He was unbelievably highly targeted there was only two games where he had well zero that he had less than five targets two of those games he had exactly five everything else was double digits with the exception of the nine but on that nine it was seven were caught for 60 yards so i see the potential but what is the point again i said it a while ago at what point are we going to rip the band-aid off and say this is our team what does hopkins do to help us become the next powerhouse team the next you know 
2009 Green Bay Packers that are young and talented and ready to go. What does Hopkins do for us with that? Nothing. The only thing Hopkins does is maybe makes us slightly better this year only. Okay. I mean, look, it's cool, it's exciting, it's all those things. But just from a basic cost-benefit, as much as I'd be excited to hear the news that we signed him and all that, it just doesn't meet the threshold for me of this is what we should do. You say, what if he takes vet minimum and wants to come to Green Bay, which is not going to happen, but what if? I still don't think it makes sense for all the reasons I just said. I don't know that he's going to be better than Romeo Dobbs. I don't know that he's going to be our second best option, which he needs to be either our first or second best, because if we have two receivers out there, he's going to be on the field. And if he's our third best receiver, that means our second best receiver is going to be on the bench, and that's not a good thing. And we're paying for that privilege, and that's not a good thing. And I know, well, that's ridiculous. Hopkins wouldn't be better than Dobbs. No, it's not. You're thinking 2018 Hopkins and 2022 Romeo Dobbs. You don't know what he's, he's, again, three years of decline 87 78 and then 72 or something right three just down down well two two down steps but over three years he's taken two steps backwards and he's been injured two years in a row didn't we do this last year i understand that the ceiling wasn't as high as deandre hopkins or i shouldn't even say ceiling that the history wasn't as good with with him compared to sammy watkins but sammy watkins was another guy that's like i know he's not gonna make it he's gonna get injured how many times do we have to see these 30-something-year-old wide receivers and think, man, what if he could stay healthy? What if? First of all, what if is not very comforting. It's been two years in a row, so it's probably less than 50% that he makes it. Makes it even, I don't know, 12 games. But then what if he does? What, what does that mean? You know he's good? Again, out of nine games, four of them were good. So what does that mean? What does his injury have to do with anything? His, his, his best game of the entire year was his second game back. His last three games were three of his worst. So it's not like it took him some time to get back from his injury. This kind of just seems like who he was. And it's a similar thing with the year before, right? I mean, what, what does his injury, and it looks like week nine, or possibly week eight, was it against Green Bay? It might have been. His last game in 2021 was against, well, not his last game, but um, where there's a big gap. It was week eight against Green Bay, two targets, two receptions, 66 yards. But you know when his worst games were? Remember, this is another declining year. The declining grade comes from weeks two, Weeks three and week six. The injury doesn't come into play in those weeks. It's not until week eight. And then he comes back from injury in week 13 and he performs fine. 73.8 grade. Week 14, 68.6. And then it looks like he got injured again. He was done after week 14. And I guess didn't come back until mid-season 2022. So we got two injuries. I don't see really any reason to believe that the injuries are the reason for the low grades or low production. I just, I can't really super get behind it. Anyways, that's my stance. I have no real issue with anybody that wants DeAndre Hopkins or thinks, you know, again, it, it depends your view of things, right? It depends on your view of the Packers team. It depends your view of the Packers rookies. It depends your view of, of you know, DeAndre Hopkins. Did I say that? I'm forgetting what I already said. Your view on our future, you know, are, are we are we a really good team that wants to go for it? Or are we a bad team that needs to slightly get better? Or are we just, you know, is it maybe we need him to help Jordan Love? You can have whatever reasons you want. I'm just explaining my thought process and why I've come to the conclusion that I don't think Hopkins, although I would be excited, don't get me wrong, if we get the news, I'm going to come on here and be like, dude, this is crazy. I can't believe Hopkins is coming here. He was one of the best. Because it's all true. And there's plenty of reason to be excited about it. But if you're asking me, I don't think it's the best decision. And if it costs a lot of money, I definitely don't think it's the best decision. All right, one final little tidbit here before we uh, take a break. 
This via Kalen Kaler of The Athletic. The NFL is investigating a fifth Lions player for violating the league's gambling policy. So the... Maybe I shouldn't be so cold about it as to say the funny part, but I'll just say it anyways. The funny part about it is... Well, let me just read it. The NFL is investigating a fifth player in the 2022 Detroit Lions roster for a potential violation of the league's gambling policy, league sources told The Athletic. The Athletic is not naming the player at this time because the investigation is ongoing. Which means if you are a Detroit Lions player, and by the way, this could be somebody that moved on. There's not that many of them, but it could be. They do keep mentioning the 2020-20, the 2022 team, which means it, it, it kind of sounds like it's somebody that has moved on. They also say it was not a prominent member of the 2022 team, so it might be somebody that got cut or whatever. But still, it's got to suck to be a Detroit Lions player and wonder if it's you, you know? I mean, how many Lions players made bets and didn't get busted and are like, holy crap. And then you find out there's a second wave of investigations. And then you see an article comes out and it says they're looking for somebody else. But here's sort of the, the well, let me, let me go through this first. On April 21st, the NFL announced suspensions for four other Lions players for gambling. Safety C.J. Moore, wide receiver Quintez Cephas, wide receivers Jamison Williams, and Stanley Berryhill. The first two says indefinite. The second two said six uh, games. And obviously, Jamison Williams is a big one. Barry Hill and Cephas, maybe not so much. Barry Hill, by the way, was released by the team, so certainly not a big deal. But aside from sort of the divisional fan rivalry chuckling, I do have to think that this is to some degree significant because the Lions, as we know, are not a very good football team. They are also a team that has been overachieving because of something that is sort of fake. And the fake thing, and I shouldn't say fake, but um, the immaterial thing is this sort of hype. And I don't mean external, I mean internal hype. It's this belief. It's this real, raw, genuine belief that we're going to climb, we're going to make it, we're going to do all these things. And you start to feel this sense that they peaked and they're on their way back down. You've got investigations going on with players getting suspended. Then you have a draft that by most people's account was not very good. I saw a Lions fan slash reporter or whatever get mad when somebody made a comment. Let me see. Actually, it should be right at the top here. Let me see if I can find it. Yeah, so this is um, Russell Brown, NFL draft analyst by at Fantasy Pros, writer at the Lions Wire, betting pros, blah, blah, blah. Um, who even wrote this? Bill Barnwell. It doesn't really matter. But Bill Barnwell of ESPN, NFL offseason ranks, worst NFL offseason, and they had the Lions... Uh, 28th in terms of the the fifth worst offseason. And he said, someone explained to me how the Lions had one of the worst NFL offseasons. And I looked in the comments and I see him kind of getting into a back and forth. One of the guys he's getting into it with is Bukowski, but you can see him start to back off pretty quickly, right? So the first dig was, well, the draft wasn't good. And he's like, oh, really? Are you sure about that? Because we don't know if they're going to be good or bad. And then he immediately comes back with, okay, I mean, I get the positional value, blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, 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 not blah, blah, blah. Positional value matters. Then he gets to, okay, put the draft aside. It seems like he's completely neglecting what they did in free agency. Not going to go through every player, but Sutton, Gardner-Johnson, and Montgomery are all solid additions. No, they're not. Cam Sutton is a cornerback that um, played for the Pittsburgh Steelers last year. He is a wildly inconsistent corner. 
that has had two good years. One of them was last year, and by good I mean 71, as in barely good. And if you look at it, it's wildly inconsistent. 70-40, 70-60, it's, it's that way the whole way through the season. So that's not a an acquisition that, I mean, honestly, have you heard of Cameron Sutton? You probably have, but he's, he's certainly not a, a top-of-mind corner. If, if I said rattle off the top corners that come to mind, nobody's saying Cam Sutton. Okay, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, massively overrated safety. He's a big name, and everybody gets freaked out because he's a big name. He had a 65 PFF grade last year. The year before that was a 62. The year before that was a 60. His only decent year was the year that he played about a half a year as a rookie in New Orleans and had a 70 grade. He hasn't produced anything since then. He's actually a pretty subpar, substandard safety. 54 run defense grade, 52 tackling grade, 66 coverage grade. There's nothing super redeemable about him other than he's a big name. And then he adds David Montgomery. I'm sorry to tell you, David Montgomery was probably the second or third, if you count Justin Fields, best running back in Chicago. And then you drafted a running back, so he's not even going to really play. So that's not a solid signing. You, you, you drafted and brought in a running back in free agency. Those are two very low-value positions, and I hate to tell you this, but you got rid of two running backs. So they're just replacing the two that left. You added a safety to one of the most garbage DB groups, and he's not super great. And then you added a corner, same thing. And this is on top of when you drafted two of the lowest value positions you can draft in the first round. I get that you might need a running back. Guess what? A lot of teams got good running backs in the middle rounds. I get that you need a, a linebacker. Well, that one, that one might have been tough this year. Maybe hit up free agency for that. You don't need to use two first round picks on a running back and a linebacker. So I think everybody outside of Detroit Lions fans sort of recognize that this was not a very good offseason. And unlike the Packers, who did the best they could with what they had, which is, for example, very little money, the Lions had enough to do something and didn't do anything with it. Two first-round picks and a, a, at least enough money to sign the guys you signed, and that's all you came away with, I, I'm just not massively impressed by that. But to get back to the larger point that I'm making, doesn't it have a feeling that we're kind of to the point now where maybe the hype for the Lions this year is going to be slightly less than it was last year? as though we, we maybe peaked, whereas last year we thought that they were it, you know, they, they came out and they were firing, and man, they scored a ton of points, and holy cow, this is like, look at the jump they made with Dan Campbell and all, and then they went on to miss the playoffs again. In fact, by the time it came down to it, the only thing they were trying to do, and did successfully, by the way, but the only thing they were trying to do is play spoiler, because they didn't even have the opportunity to get in in Week 18. Didn't even have the chance. They weren't good enough to even battle for it. And so it just feels like as we come around again, a little bit of that magic, a little bit of that spark is probably going to go down, right? Jamal's gone. He was a big part of that locker room. And again, like I've said before, all this rah-rah stuff, after a while, it's kind of like, yeah, we've heard this before. You know, year one, all right, like it's, it's, it's tough to get guys to buy in and, and props to Dan Campbell for getting guys to buy in year one. But then they bought in year two and, you know, it, it, it gets to a point where it's like, you know, we've heard it. We haven't seen the results. We, we were told if you buy in, if you give it your all, we're going to start to see the results. And we have not seen that. When do we get to see it? And then again, on top of all of that, you've, you've reached that apex where, you know, in the beginning it was all adding. It was adding and adding and adding. We got a billion picks. We got a billion dollars. We're just bringing in guys, bringing them, bringing them, bringing them. Now we're starting to lose guys. Now we got guys going out as fast as they're coming in. And as best as I can tell, you're not replacing them as well as you're losing them. So we'll see what Detroit can pull off. 
But, I mean, Jared Goff peaked last year. That was about as good a Jared Goff as we've seen. I don't think he gets better. I think it's more likely that he gets worse. Your superstar wide receiver who didn't really get a chance to get on the field last year is not going to get a chance to get back on the field again this year because of a massive scandal that swept through your entire team. I mean, it was an NFL-wide investigation that landed, what, six guys and five of them are Lions? You're losing core leaders in the room, which, by the way, you kind of gave them away. And then you want credit for going out and replacing. It's just, I don't know. I don't really see it. I I feel like this is is all just piling on to a eventual backslide, which is crazy because the the Lions peaked at almost getting close to being able to battle to get into the playoffs. <laughs> you know what's really crazy, and I, and this isn't even necessarily me saying I think the Packers are going to be great because I have no idea, but it 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 genuinely feels like this is a race to the bottom. I mean, I I wouldn't be surprised if the Packers are the best team in the North just by default. The Bears are absolute dog crap. They just are. They're absolutely terrible. And I'll play a clip for you. Uh, Clayton shared it on Twitter, but I'll play it for you after the break. But they're terrible. Everything about them is awful. And it's all just based on this magical idea that Justin Fields just becomes this elite passer, like a top five passer, which still is not going to fix everything. It's still a terrible football team. And because they got DJ Moore. Like, you got this great quarterback this elite quarterback and this elite wide receiver and dog crap everywhere else and they're going to be a magical football team. Okay, so that's the Bears. The Lions are a terrible football team that I think got worse and probably starting to lose some of that hype, which means instead of playing at like that 95% level, they're playing now at an 85% level, so they're not quite as good of a football team. I'm making up the numbers. And then the, the Vikings, who actually... I just found out dropped to dead last on, I think, FanDuel as far as the betting markets, um, as far as where they think that they're going to rank. So they have the, the Vikings coming in fourth in the division. I don't necessarily agree with that, but it, it, it is funny because they're also just a mess. The NFC North is a complete mess. The Packers are the only team that I can look at and say, I mean, if, love's, if love doesn't suck, I think we're the best team in the North, right? I mean, that's, that's all it takes. If love doesn't suck, I mean, at, at least you can see that path. You look at the Vikings, and, and yes, you could say, well, maybe the, the defense underperforms again, and all these things could happen. But I think the default is, if you look at the players on that defense, it's better than the Vikings have, it's better than the Lions have, it's better than the Bears have. This is the best defense in the NFC North. We have the best special teams in the NFC North. We have, I don't want to say best offensive line, but potentially, probably the Lions. We have the best running backs in the NFC North. If our rookies are even above average, we probably have the best tight ends in the NFC North, unless you're super into uh, TJ Hawkinson in Minnesota these days, or think Cole Komet takes a big jump or something. The only place where the Packers are probably further down the list, and this is still a question mark just like Justin Love, Justin Love, my goodness, Jordan Love is the wide receivers, because I don't expect him to be as good as Justin Jefferson. Right, so so the Vikings will just grant them that, even if everybody, even if our like next three are better than their number two, it's like you got Jefferson, you get number one, fine. The Bears have more, but Watson was already better than more last year. But we're supposed to pretend we don't know that. But okay, whatever. The Lions have Amon Ross St. Brown, but the drop Amon Ross is probably top ten, but the drop off is so unbelievably significant for them. I don't know. I, let me put it this way: I'm not willing to concede we have the fourth best wide receiver group. That's only if uh, Christian Watson regresses, Romeo Dobbs 
regresses to kind of stays about the same ish and Jaden Reed is is irrelevant as is everybody else that we drafted nobody takes a step nobody does anything and everybody's garbage then yeah we have the worst wide receiver group for sure but anyways why don't we take a break there I want to play a clip for you because it's funny and we'll see where things go from there we'll take a break we'll be right back in the hobby it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. So this is a clip from, um, what is this called? The Pat McAfee Show, and they have on Michael Lombardi. I have my qualms with Michael Lombardi being kind of a D-bag in his, the way that he refers to Matt LaFleur and kind of has this, I know better than everybody because I used to be in the NFL a long time ago attitude. But he was in the NFL a long time ago, which means his opinion is probably better than most of the people we're listening to. Everybody on all these football shows, all the blowhards, everybody on Pat McAfee show, including the former football players, he has probably some better thoughts, takes, opinions, etc. Anyways, um, it's worth listening to because he somewhat compliments the Packers and then just digs in on the Bears, and I freaking love this. And I just like when people are finally starting to say what I've been saying this whole time. It, it, I feel like we're starting to turn a corner here. We'll see where it goes, though. Schmidt has a question for you, Lombo. Yeah, Lombo, looking at uh, like clips from OTAs, obviously you take all those with a grain of salt because ultimately it doesn't really mean shit, but I've been watching the Packers ones a little bit closer uh, to see how Jordan Love's doing. When you look at the NFC North and the NFC as a whole, what do you think realistic expectations are for the Packers this year? 
I think the Packers are undervalued a little bit because, look, they, their defense is going to be better, right? I mean, I don't know how they're a two-and-a-half-point dog to Chicago. The Green Bay's defense is pretty good. And, you know, Green Bay has two really good running backs. I hate to interrupt him because you've already heard me say this stuff, but that alone is worth noting. Green Bay's defense is quite good. I, I know, no, they're not. Joe Barry's trap. Blah, 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 blah. I get it. I understand. The Green Bay Packers' defense is filled with high-quality talent, more so than almost every team in the NFL, right? Not the Eagles, not... I'm sure you could pick out a couple others that they're not quite on that level. But just because they disappointed you last year doesn't mean you get to go throw a hissy fit and say they're all bad and everything's horrible and everything's terrible. They ended the season strong after making some adjustments, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. What do we know about the Chicago Bears defense? They're god-awful. They're terrible. So you have a superior defense going up against a god-awful offense in Chicago. And then you have the Green Bay Packers and Jordan Love, which is, again, really good offensive line, really good running backs, some promising wide receivers and tight ends, and a question mark at quarterback going up against one of the worst defenses in football. I mean, I, I guess I'll just say I can see his point. Now, we understand Jordan Love is going to be a young player. He's going to make mistakes. It's going to really behoove LaFleur to change what he does and kind of manage the game differently. But their, their special teams improved last year. Their defense got better. I think their defense is much better. So I think they're undervalued. I, I don't know what Love's going to look like. I can't wait to watch him this summer. But to me, they're not a team that is just bad i mean they got a good offensive line they can improve in that area chicago is a team that has a longer way to go uh, in terms of their talent level hey, and how they're trying to rebuild hey Lando, so, you don't like hey you don't like uh justin fields. you don't like justin fields so again i i hate to interrupt because anytime you can dig at justin fields is a good day but to be fair he didn't talk about justin fields he said they have a longer way to go and they do because the entire team is built of nobodies they're a bunch of nobodies Everybody needs to be replaced. Even these expensive guys they went out and paid for, this isn't a long-term proposition. By the time they become a good football team, you think these guys are still going to be here? I mean, maybe, but they're going to be at the back ends of their careers. They haven't built a core of young, talented players with the exception of a hand. I mean, who is the guy that they drafted that is a freaking stud? That is the core of their team moving forward. Who is it? Who's the guy? It ain't Justin because he hasn't proved anything yet. Is it that that one safety guy? Maybe. I mean, they got a couple safeties. Maybe that could that could be that. Maybe. Who else? Corners? No. Linebackers? No. Edge rushers? No. Defensive tackles? No. Offensive linemen? I don't think so. I mean, they, they got really fortunate by finding some starters in the mid to late rounds, but I don't think these are going to be like guys that you don't want to replace it's just like holy crap that's pretty good for like a seventh rounder right and tevin jenkins i mean he's a good mauling run blocker congratulations um but but what i mean what what do you have your 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 wide receiver you're all gushing about is a guy you went out and got and traded for so leaving fields out of it which we're not going to do which makes me happy it's not just a fields issue that's the thing. Even if Fields becomes what everybody thinks he already is and already has become, we just haven't seen it yet. It's still a bad football team. Huh? Hates him. I'm not a big look. To me, 
All right, let me give you some reasons why. Let me give uh, 91 sacks in two years, average seven yards a sack, okay? I know there's some people that come on your show that think he should be the... Seven yards a sack. First of all, the sack numbers are astronomical, but we kind of knew that, I guess. Seven yards? But it makes sense. When you look, he's like Kyler Murray, right? He's evading sacks a lot of times just by running backwards. It's just, he's so stupid. The MVP. I tune that out. I won't listen to that. He also doesn't have Joe Montana in his top five. I won't mention who that is. No big deal. Okay, we'll move forward on this. I would love to know, by the way, maybe Clayton or somebody can let me know who was on this show that said he's going to be an MVP. I remember somebody said that recently. Maybe it's the guy that I already covered, but if there's somebody else that was on the show that said he thinks he's going to be an MVP, I would love to know who that is because I would have a lot of fun uh, making fun of that complete moron. So anyway, so like so 91 sacks, 29 fumbles. You know, let me just give you this stat. Last year, the Colts and the Bears averaged 8.5 points in per loss. The Colts threw it 35 times. The Bears threw it 22. They didn't even want to throw it when they were behind. He- Did we all forget that, by the way, that they took the ball out of, out of Justin Fields' hands? They basically said, no more throwing. And that's when the team started to kind of do some things because Fields just ran, and they just ran, and the offensive line just became road graders, and all they did was run, and they perfected running, and they become such a good running team that it actually kind of worked. And they found a little bit of success, not necessarily in the area of winning, but they found some success. But it was only after they said, all right, no more throwing for you because you are hot garbage. And as he said, even when they're down. And we saw this, remember... Remember last year when it would be like third and 14 and they would run like every time? They don't want him to throw. What are we talking about here? He's got to throw the football. Is he a dynamic athlete? No doubt. But as a thrower of the football, processor of the football, one of the things that really bothered people when he came out was his release. It's too loose. He can't control the ball. He turns the ball over too much. Those are things that I don't like in quarterbacks. So... This kind of goes into another picture that we're going to get into in a minute here. But again, a lot of this is perception. And it's my perception being vastly different than a lot of other people's perception. And I'm glad that people are starting to see it. Or at least people that see it are starting to get a voice and starting to say it. Because now it's becoming very popular to say the Packers are really underrated. And you know what's going to happen when that word gets out more and more and more. There's going to be a lot of betting. And what happens when the betting ramps up? The odds are going to shift, and suddenly that big bear's talking point goes bye-bye, right? There is a major perception that the Packers are bad, and, and I've been saying it in this seat for weeks now. I want someone to explain to me why. Well, Jordan Love is an unknown. So what? Justin Fields is a known. He's a known bad quarterback. Why is he being given credit, especially since he plays for a team that is worse than the team that the Green Bay Packers have? With less established leadership, less established coaching staff, everything about the Green Bay Packers is better. The only thing is, with the quarterbacks, the Bears have a bad one, and the Packers have a somewhere between bad and good. How do you look at that formula and say the Bears are better? At least with the Lions and the and the Vikings, you can say they have the most important piece. Not even mo- really elite, but they're in that, say, top 10 tier-ish, right? Because both of them actually had really good years last year. So... To say that Love is going to be better than Fields is different than saying Love is going to be better than Cousins. He just needs to be barely adequate to be better than Fields. And considering the team around him is better than the Bears' overall team, if he's barely adequate, we're better than the Bears. 
period. Unless Fields takes this magical leap. But again, anybody can take a leap. It doesn't make any sense to project, well, I just think this person is and everybody else isn't. There's no information backing that. And again, I think the Lions are overvalued. I think, well, the Vikings probably aren't. If anything, they're undervalued, considering what they accomplished last year, having the quarterback, having an elite wide receiver in an offensive-driven league. I understand the defense is absolutely putrid, but, you know, as I talked about with the Packers, it's one of the least predictable facets of the game is is from year to year the defense. Now, that doesn't mean they're going to jump to number five. I don't think it's quite that volatile. But in terms of its predictability, if they were the worst defense in football, it's unlikely they're going to be the worst defense again. Maybe they're 20th or something, I don't know. But if the offense stays the same and then they become the 20th defense as opposed to the 32nd, that makes a major impact on the overall quality of the team. Now, in terms of the record, it probably still goes down slightly because they were winning games they shouldn't have been winning, but you get the larger point. Anyways, speaking of these misconceptions, I want to get back to Jordan Love, and this is not necessarily something that we haven't talked about, but it just kind of goes, um, further hammers the point. Now, one of the things I've been talking about, and maybe you missed it because I think I only did it once, but I kind of went through and looked at some of the Aaron Rodgers statistics. And not just, you know, if you look at PFF, I think they have him 10th as far as his passing grade. But that's about it. If you look at all the other advanced metrics, for the most part, he's significantly lower. Again, I don't have SIS anymore, but I know his war and his par and his all these advanced metrics. He was he was at best 15th. He was a lot of times in the 20s. It was bad. And then if you look over at Football Outsiders, was he top 10? No, he was not. Uh, DYAR, uh, which is sort of like DVOA, he was 16th. DVOA was even worse. He was 21st. These are all different kinds of metrics you can use to gauge how good a quarterback is. And I think the most flattering is probably his PFF grade, which puts him at 10. But if you look at the collection of data, he wasn't 10th. He was probably mid-teens at best. You know, look at his QBR, for example. 27th out of 34. Anyways, that brings me to this, and, and I've mentioned this before. Uh, there's a substack called Unexpected Points. It's all just nerded out statistics stuff. Kevin Cole is a guy that runs it. He's also got a YouTube channel that's worth checking out. you got to pay for the uh, substack, but the about half of his stuff is on YouTube anyways. But he has this um, adjusted quarterback efficiency rating, and this is the adjusted quarterback efficiency 3.0. And essentially what it is, is he takes advanced data and tries to strip out some of the flaws in it, right? So EPA is a pretty good metric, but it's not a super good metric. So for example, there's an article here that he wrote, Introducing Adjusted Quarterback Efficiency, which explains the whole thing. We're not going to go through it because it doesn't matter. I'm just trying to push some of the validity of it. But he says, using advanced stats like EPA per play to assess quarterbacks has its flaws. EPA measures the value added by the entire offense on a play, yet yet in doing so assigns all the value to the quarterback. Yes, EPA is a team stat, but so are all the other advanced and traditional stats. The quarterback in and of himself isn't fully responsible for the passing yards or touchdowns. It says PFF grading looks to isolate quarterback play, but even grading has its issues with assigning proper blame to quarterbacks for sacks and myopic focus on the throws made instead of the whole process. EPA solves the calibration of value missing in the other measures, but is more results-based or uh, for plays of luck in surrounding contexts like tipped or dropped interceptions or a poor offensive line. So again, what he does is he takes EPA, and then he tries to make some adjustments to to try to strip out some of the flaws. 
So he's using these two different things to get charting data as well as the EPA data and says by comp combining the two, we can adjust for receiver and defender drops, fumble recovery luck, excess value from penalties, and strength of schedule adjustments. So that was what he did initially. This is 3.0. So every single time, essentially what he's doing is he's finding ways to tweak it and improve upon it. So it's it's EPA, but better. And then in, in this article, he explains what, what he changed in 3.0. He says, the only brand new adjustment this week is adding a scheme-based metric for play-action usage. Spamming play-action passes doesn't produce the same, le same level of outperformance as we've seen in the past, but I still found around a 0.1 EPA benefit for using play-action on early downs when you control for quarterback and other factors. So again, he's combing through and finding flaws in his system and correcting them. And he found another one. So he added a play-action adjustment. So it's all that kind of stuff. Anyways, he fi we finally get down to his chart. And it has EPA per play, and then it's all the adjustments. It says adjustment for receivers, drops, dropped interceptions, fumble luck, blocking SOS, weather 2022, blah, blah, blah. And what you find is Aaron Rodgers was not among the top guys, right? Basically, you've got Pat Mahomes is the only guy that's .3, ahead of .3. The only guy that was ahead of .2 is Josh Allen and barely. Everybody else was behind that. The problem is Rodgers was behind .1, and in fact, he was closer to zero than he was .1. On just a linear chart, he ranked 23rd. Now, again, this is a massive stat nerd who has taken one of the best raw data points that we have to assess a quarterback and has massively improved upon it. And he put Rodgers 23rd. Now, this is the intention of this isn't to just bash Aaron Rodgers. That's... that's We've, we've done that. We've established that it wasn't a great year and we're frustrated and blah, blah, blah. This is to establish, again, to further establish the idea that Jordan Love does not need to come in and be a high-quality quarterback to outperform Aaron Rodgers. In fact, the odds of the Packers being better than last year are actually quite high. Number one, do you think it is possible or even probable that Jordan Love is within the top 23 out of 32 quarterbacks. I would say that that is highly probable, that he is, let's just say, at least 23rd. Because if he is exactly 23rd, the next question is, will the team around him be better? And I see no reason why it wouldn't. What got worse? Did our receivers get worse? No. There's almost no way in the world that Watson and Dobbs in year two along with Jaden Reed, who was added, along with everybody else, is worse than Watson, who didn't even start, really, until week 10, and Dobbs, who was out half the year, and again was a rookie, and Alan Lazard and Randall Cobb, who it, it, had, it had more or less run its course with them. Did our tight ends get worse? Almost no way in the world, at least insofar as we're talking about receiving. They could go out there and do frickin' barrel roll their way down the field. They could do jumping jacks down the field, and it would be about as, as, as good of a production as receivers as we've had at the tight end position the last couple of years. I don't mean to be disrespectful to Mercedes Lewis, great blocker and all that, but the dude was not a receiver. Neither was Tunyon. Our offensive line. 
There's almost no way that it's worse. In fact, again, when you factor in the kind of late start for Bakhtiari and Elton Jenkins, that they're going to be getting presumably the full year. There's no reason to pre- presume Josh Myers gets worse. If you want to assume, uh, if you want to say he probably doesn't get better, fine, but he's not going to get worse. But we also have this competition. Zach Tom, if Zach Tom comes in and takes a significant portion, that's because there is an upgrade over Yash Nyman. And that's assuming guys like Sean Ryan, Jake Hansen, Royce Newman don't come in and actually win jobs. Running back room, no real posi- reason to believe anything got worse. Even if things didn't get better, I don't, I don't really see any. It's the same guys. Defensive line, did it get worse? No way in the world did that get worse. I'm sorry, but Dean Lowry was doing nothing for us. Jaron Reed was a useless pickup. Kenny Clark had the worst year of his entire career. If Kenny Clark can just go back, go, just get back to being the same old average Kenny Clark that he was the last couple years, on top of Devontae Wyatt taking a step, we're already better. And then at edge, you say, well, we're missing, we're going to miss Rashawn Gary for maybe like half the season. We had him, he was missing half the year last year. He only played until week nine. So we get the same amount of Rashawn Gary, presumably, but also we get to add Lucas Van Ness and second year Kingsley and Igbari. And of course, you got Carl Brooks and Colby Wooden who might be taking some snaps out there. Either way, some potential there for those guys to make an impact, whether that be outside or inside. Did the corners get better or worse? I think the DBs in general... Remember, last year was a disaster because they were lost until those last four games when they made some tweaks and everything and they started playing a little bit more fast and loose. Things got better. Jair, despite all the problems, he's still graded as a top 10 corner. Razul, I mean, he took the regression last year that I expected him to take. I don't expect him to get better. I don't expect him to get worse. And again, with the safeties, I understand the dislike for Savage, but he bottomed out last year. Even if he doesn't take a massive leap, he's not going to get worse than last year. So, worst case scenario. Jordan Love comes in, nothing on this team improves whatsoever. Jordan Love comes in, is a top or is a bottom 10 quarterback, and we have the exact same football team as last year. Or, or the defense doesn't massively underperform like it did last year. Jordan Love is better than a top 20 quarterback. We have Keyshawn Nixon the whole year and not just half the year. We have great rapport with our quarterback and our receivers, and who knows, maybe Watson gets a little better, Dobbs gets a little better, Jaden Reed is a good addition to the team, and maybe one of Lucas Musgr- Luke Musgrave or Tucker Craft becomes a actual viable weapon for us. On top of maybe just one of Lucas Van Ness, Carl Brooks, and Colby Wooden could add to our pass rush ability, and that's aside from the part where Devontae Wyatt probably already upgrades our defensive line. This isn't me being overly optimistic. What I'm telling you is the Packers bottomed out last year. It's no different than when you look at the Vikings and say they were way, their, their record was way better than their talent. Period. Right? Same with the Bears in 2018. Like, they had a great year. No question. But they're not that good. You look at the Packers the exact same way, but from the opposite. They're way too good to be that bad. Right? And, and again, this, isn't, this, is, this wasn't meant to be a knock on Rodgers, because guess what? He's not that bad either. It's why I'm, I'm very much assuming, just like most people are, he's going to go to New York, he's going to tear it up, he might even win MVP. The point is, they all bottomed out. So this idea that, well, you know, obviously they're going to take a step back at quarterback, and then everything's just going to unravel, right? Aaron Rodgers was dragging this team. No, the entire team bottomed out, and Rodgers bottomed out with it. Now, maybe they just stay in the dirt, and they stay bottomed out, and they don't get any better. But I don't expect them to get worse. Why would I expect them to get worse? That doesn't make any sense. Based on what? We lost Randall Cobb? Robert Tunyon? What did we lose? I'm not trying to be disrespectful here. I love Randall, but let's be freaking real about it. 
You want Randall Cobb over Jaden Reed. And you want, what, Lazard over Romeo? And, and what, half a year of Watson? Come on, man. Let's be freaking real here. You want Dean Lowry back? You want the old defensive line, Kenny Clark, Dean Lowry, and Jaron Reed, as opposed to TJ Slayton, Devontae Wyatt, and Kenny Clark? You really want that with Brooks and Wooden mixed in? You'd rather have a half a year of Rashawn Gary and a year of Preston Smith and rookie Kingsley Anigbare? Or would you rather have a, a half a year, maybe even significantly more than that, of Rashawn Gary, Preston Smith, Lucas Van Ness, and second year Kingsley Anigbare? Which one's more appealing? It's like a freaking trick question. It's not even a question. What, seriously, on this team are you looking at and saying, I think this person regresses? Who regresses? It's not the second year, guys. That doesn't even make sense. Who on the offensive line regresses? The, 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 the first thing you look at when you want to see who regresses is who peaked that isn't going to be able to maintain that level of peaking. And you know I'd be honest, I said it about Jair when he peaked and he was a number one corner. I said he'd regress, and I told you that Razul would regress, and I told you Devondre would regress. I told you those things when I saw it. This isn't just homerism. This is just calling it like I see it. I told you Devondre would regress, and he did. I told you Razul would regress, and he did. I told you Jair would regress, and he did. And I'm telling you, these players are better than what they put on the field last year. It was an artificially low production, team-wide, not just Rodgers. And again, that's the notion, and I understand it from national media guys who have no freaking idea what they're talking about, because they're not Packers guys. They just kind of thumb through general NFL news, and they come up with these narratives, and they don't really know what they're talking about. But freaking A, Packers fans, if you're listening to them, and they're telling you what to think of your team, you got to wake up, dude. You know more than they do. And let me tell you something that you know that they don't. The narrative that Rodgers took a half a step back and look at how bad things got is a stupid narrative. First of all, Rodgers didn't take a half a step back. He went from one of the best quarterbacks in football to a bottom 10 quarterback, if you believe this metric, which even if you don't, I mean, again, DVOA, he was 21st, and that's pretty close to bottom 10. In fact, it might even be bottom 10 based on how many they actually had here. They only have, uh, oh, no, they have 33. All right, so it's pretty close, bottom 12. So it wasn't a half a step. But beyond that, it, they're, they're assuming that the entire team stayed exactly as it was. Right, from the coaching to the offense, the defense, the special team, everything was exactly the same. And when Rodgers took that tiny little step back, everything blew up. That's how much he means to this team. That narrative is stupid, and we know it. They might not know it, because they don't know what they're talking about. And they're dumb, and that's why you tune into Packers podcasts and don't worry as much about what the national guys say, because they don't know what they're talking about. That's nonsense. So yeah, when Michael Lombardi says things like, I don't know why the Bears are favorited, even at home, because the Packers clearly have the better defense. And yeah, we don't know about Jordan Love, but Justin Fields is bad. And I mean, just the, the team is around it is a good football team. And, and just, I shouldn't have to clarify this, but every time I have these conversations on social media, people want to say, what about this, right? Oh, what, you really like Josh Myers? Oh, what, you, you don't know about Darnell Savage and Rudy Ford? That's a good defense to you? There is no football team that doesn't have holes. Zero of them. Every team has it. If your argument against what I'm saying about the team having a very, very stacked defense is, what about Darnell Savage? You're not getting it, and you're still stuck in this mindset that unless everything's perfect, somebody failed. Gutekunst is a failure because we have a hole somewhere on our team. 
GMs aren't bolt manufacturers, man. Okay? They all got a little bit of holes in them. By the way, I didn't even mention linebacker, but would you rather have last year's linebackers or this year's linebackers? Well, they're the same guys. Are they? I mean, they're pretty much the same guys, but it's Quay Walker in year two as opposed to year one. Which would you prefer? Okay. But, I mean, uh, again, I've done this a thousand times, but Baltimore Ravens have a good defense, right? Okay. Name for me their best pass rusher. Pass rush is pretty important, right? Way more important than safety. Who's their best pass rusher? Their two top pass rushers ranked 84th and 85th. Number two corner ranked 50th. Holy crap, Kyle Hamilton was the number one safety in football last year? That's crazy. I told you he was good, man. Anyways, again, they got talent, talent, talent. Like uh, Marlon Humphrey's a good corner. Hamilton was a number one safety, which there's going to be regression there. Right? Um, they've got, uh, I don't know, Michael Pierce at nose tackle. Back at nose tackle for them. But they've also got holes. Buffalo Bills, just dominant. Aside from their left tackle, their left guard ranks 65th. Their center ranks 24th, only 32 centers. Their right guard ranks 41st, and their right tackle ranks 73rd. And aside from that, aside from Diggs, their best wide receiver ranks 60th. Their running back ranked 29th. Their corners ranked 81st and 83rd. And aside from Milano, the other two linebackers had grades of 47 and 48. And also their safeties didn't do very well. Hyde didn't play enough to uh, get like an official grade. But Micah Hyde has not been a top-tier safety since 2017. His grades since then have been 64, 65, 63, and he only played two weeks uh, last year. And then Jordan Poyer, their other safety, um, also pretty overvalued. He had a, a one good year in 2017. He had a 58.8 grade. He ranked 48th. But they're a good football team. But they're not perfect, are they? They got holes everywhere. Bengals are really scary, right? Joe Burrow, Chase, Higgins, Boyd. Yeah, but what about their offensive line and tight end? Well, yeah, they suck. Kansas City Chiefs, number one wide receiver. What about the wide receivers? Number one quarterback. What about the wide receivers? They don't really have any. They have no good wide receivers, no good running backs, and both his tackles are trash. By the way, the defense has the number one defensive tackle, a couple good corners, but that's about it. Everybody else is average to pretty subpar. Maybe the closest to perfect team I can find would be the Philadelphia Eagles. I mean, honestly, this is, this is one of the more perfect teams I've ever seen. But even they have, you know, they're, um, they got Fletcher Cox on the inside. I mean, he's a big name and all, but 2019 was the last time he was a dominant defensive tackle. He ranked 67th last year. They also might not have any good linebackers. We'll see what N'Kobe Dean can do. But otherwise, you know, pretty solid. But again, even them, dominant defense. Almost no holes anywhere, but they still do have holes. Everybody does. So that's not, that's not a convincing argument. Yeah, but what about, what about, what about? That doesn't mean anything. The point is, very few teams have as many high-end players as the Packers have. I know many of them took a step back last year or were injured or whatever the case may be, but there's still a lot of very good defensive players and offensive players and special teams players. So yeah, I think if Jordan Love is a top 20 quarterback, we are a better football team. Anyways, I guess I'll leave it at that. You guys have a good rest of your day. Talk to you later. Have a good one. Bye-bye.